Welcome back to The Few Show, everybody. I'm joined today by my guest, my local guest, Sam Senior of TestBox. Sam is from a small town in regional Australia, but always knew he wanted to build a tech company since he was eight years old. And looking forward to actually talking about that. Uh, Sam found his way to San Francisco by way of London with Bain & Company, advising on software GTM and product strategy. Over time, he clearly identified a gap in the market and is now the CEO and co-founder of TestBox which is a startup that's redesigning how software is bought, making it truly customer-led. Nowadays, he lives in Boulder and is always out there riding bikes, trail running, and marveling at the beautiful, incredible landscape. Hey, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks yeah. so much, Jim. I really appreciate it. All right, let's get this kicked off. You know, we, we met for drinks what, a few weeks yep. ago, and it was one of my first like post-COVID outings here locally. And it was so awesome to, to meet you in person and actually get to, get to enjoy that experience like in real life. Yeah, it was fantastic for me as well. Similar, I hadn't yet met anyone out in Boulder physically to do anything like that. So it was nice to meet someone who's trying to do something similar in many ways. Awesome. Now, obviously, you and I spoke about TestBox and, and how it works, but if you wouldn't mind going into the details on, on what you guys do and the problem that yeah, you Yeah, absolutely. So buying enterprise software is a famously frustrating process often is in the hands of the sales rep takes a really long time and and people find it challenging to do things on their process or in a time period that works for them and and so what we identified over over many years was actually there needs to be a way to self-serve buying software in a way that enables you to have a hands-on experience test and compare different options side by side and collaborate with your team to make the right decision quickly and effectively. And so essentially what we've built is a way for people to come into a test box environment, be able to load in the various pieces of software that they're looking to compare and do a side-by-side -side comparison of each of the use cases with uh, AI generated data in there. So it looks and feels like their environment as so they can make the, the decision of what truly is gonna meet their company's needs rather than basing a decision on uh, pitches or sales demos or slides or whatever it is from all the various vendors. So it's all about that hands-on uh, testing experience. It's such a ridiculously good idea. It's one of those ideas that I'm just surprised has it come along years ago. I mean, it just absolutely makes sense. I mean, not that we don't all love sitting through an hour demo. Oh, it's know. my favorite. <laughs> I'd love to do it every day of the week. Five different companies. On that, on that note, how does it work? I mean, so you have a client come on, they, they test several, um, you know, software from, from several different companies. Do they then, you know, still go through that demo process or, I mean, is it possible for them to sort of bypass that? Yeah. So you have the ability to bypass the whole thing. So we will essentially enable you to go from discovery through to finalizing the deal. So our most recent user basically came onto test box. They started using it. Um, it took them two and a half weeks to go from knowing really nothing about the various solutions to saying they wanted to buy Zendesk. They actually bought 10 new licenses of Zendesk. Usually that takes quite a few months to go through the whole process and make the decision, but two and a half weeks. And then we just connected them with the account executive at Zendesk. They uh, finalized pricing and good to go. So and, super and no cost to your clients. Totally right? free to Correct. the end user to be able to use TestBox. Uh, we, the way we monetize is through vendor partnerships today. There are a few other ways we're going to be monetizing in the future, but um, our vendor partnerships pay us roughly about the same, no matter which vendor you end up buying through. So we have no reason to push you towards one vendor versus another. We're truly agnostic, which is fundamental to the platform we're building. And, and we just want to help people have as little friction as possible to find the right platform for their company. Yeah. As part of your sales material or process, do you, do you tell them that they get to skip 
all of these demos from yeah like, i think i think the first business. line on our website is like compare and test uh enterprise software um no more sales pitches demos or or something else like that so yes it's very much all about that oh i see i see it right here compare and test customers support software no more slides sales pitches demos and unfulfilled promises yeah, that is so solid. I, like that has to absolutely work. <laughs> and so you, you mentioned that it's customer support software. That's very much our initial niche that we're focusing on. So I mentioned Zendesk just before. The goal is very much for this to be a broader marketplace that is like all of most of the major enterprise software that you're thinking about buying in, in really any company. But we focus specifically on one so that we have a niche where we can build out our platform effectively and have a repeatable model when it comes to our go-to-market before we think about expanding um, into other verticals. So if, if we don't have the software that you want right now on TestBox, it will come. Just give us a little bit of time. That's awesome. So th this this recent user that ended up signing up for 10 seats on, on Zendesk, did they actually go in and kind of simulate the, the Zendesk environment as if they had 10 seats? I mean, I'm just curious if you could kind of walk me through what that what that looks yeah. like for that perspective. So basically when we create the instance for them of the TestBox app, they they were you have the opportunity to test a few different options side by side. We ingest it with a bunch of AI generated data. So in this case it was a B2B SaaS company. So we had a bunch of data that were ticket data for a support um, support platform. So it looks and feels like all the conversations have happened. So there's hundreds of tickets over a period of time. So you can see your reporting and all that sort of thing. So they come into the platform, that's all generated for them. All of the most important use cases are pre-configured. So think like how ticket routing might work, ticket automations or like live chat, service level agreements, um, those sorts of things, all totally pre-configured as well across each of the platforms. So you can click for one use case in one platform, see how it works with that data. We have a guided walkthrough for you to be able to learn about um, that particular software. You can then flick to another piece of software and do exactly the same use case and see what you like and what you don't like. And as you're going, you um, actually input feedback on how directly did it meet our needs? How easy was it to use? Why was that? Enter some free text. And you start to build out this, what we call a notebook or a report card potentially for people where they can basically see all the scores and everything that they have for each of the use cases across each of the vendors to really identify what is the right one for their needs. Um, this particular user did all of those things, which is really fantastic. And, and they also invited a number of their team members. So we're originally talking to someone very senior in the organization, and then they invited a few of their um, direct reports and they started using the platform to do that testing back and forth. And they generated that report card together to um, make that decision. That's amazing. You know, I, I just had a thought and I wonder if, if the platform could work for this purpose. So we, we hire a lot of customer support people and we have a very thorough vetting process, initial training process, et cetera. But still on occasion, there, there are situations where the, the agent goes and is working for a client and they just don't work out. So if, if we could simulate a test environment where there's, there's data coming in, there's, you know, maybe even AI generated live chats yeah. where we can kind of evaluate them, the, the prospective agents in the wild as part of the, the training sequence before their client facing. I mean, we would absolutely pay for something like that. It'd be very, very, very useful. So I don't know if you've thought through something. So, no, like it's that. fascinating that you bring that up. Um, it's not something that I had been thinking about up until a month ago when we actually had two very large public tech companies 
reach out to us and say, could you help us with the learning and development platform, essentially, where we can, we're onboarding so many new support agents right now. We don't have, we don't want to put them in a production environment, but could you basically replicate our production environment, start seeding it with data, and then we can just add these people in and out of it. Um, and I think it's super interesting, very compelling. I love that you brought it up as well. Um, we now have three fairly good data points on this when we haven't actively asked anyone about it yet, to be honest. Um, I think this is something that we're thinking about. It's not a near-term roadmap piece for us, but it's certainly um, an interesting avenue. I think support is very particular in that you have, you're training people to use it in a production environment. Something like cybersecurity is probably very similar, but your tools like marketing automation, or maybe your like um, your HR ATS system, for instance, they probably don't need a learning and development platform. So I think it's going to be an interesting strategic decision for us as we go further down this road and we develop out our core platform more as to whether this is an additional vertical for us. But we've had some interested parties. So I, it's one that I'm starting to think more about than I was ever expecting to, which is very cool. It is cool. It's, it's one of the things about startups. Like you just never know what's yeah. on the next one. <laughs> you know? But I, I'm curious, like from a, a product perspective, if you suddenly wanted to do this next week, like is the product ready for that? Like, would, would you just have to sort of make some minor tweaks to get it workable for that use case or, or would it be quite a big build? So one thing that we do today is we basically build out a full environment then we pull out the configuration of it and then we replicate that using the API and all this sort of thing. Today, that probably takes weeks, not months. So it's like a few, it's probably less yeah. than a month. Um, so yes, is the short answer. Uh, we're doing something like it. We probably have to do some other things. I think at most it's probably, it would be a couple of months to be able to build the most MVP version yeah. of this for someone. And when I, yeah. and with a couple of months, I mean like two engineers working on this. So not a big team. Mm -hmm. Um, we can obviously supercharge that quickly. There would obviously want to be like a really nice onboarding portal and ways to monitor and all of these extra bits and pieces. But that first, True. very first version yeah, I think there's a couple of months of work with a couple of engineers. That could be a really big deal. <laughs> like I, I'm just telling you, like in our in our organization, that would be incredibly uh, useful. I, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but how would you this good user interview? Um, how <laughs> when when it comes to value, what what is sort of the value of that to you? Because obviously, there's the value of making uh, making someone more successful in the job, avoiding a. a putting someone into a production environment where they maybe don't do well, avoiding a bad hire, all of these sorts of issues. I, obviously yeah. there's a lot of risk mitigation here. How much is that worth to you on a per user basis? A, a good amount. I, I would need to think through an actual number of that, but it's, it's a reputation management, yeah. you know, and from our perspective, so we, we outsource customer support agencies and we provide a very high level of customer experience. It's a huge yeah. priority for us. Think like, Chick-fil-A of the outsourcing world, Southwest Airlines, where we're, we're providing this level of service. And it hurts us reputationally when we do our very best to vet somebody, they go through our internal yeah. training and we put them on a client account and just sometimes it doesn't work out. That's, that's an, a rare situation, but occasionally it just doesn't. So so that can damage our, our reputation. And it's like, it's just not, which is something we have to be very careful with. And, and if we had an environment where we could provide uh, more training to them and more evaluation. That would be very how how for us. perfectly replicated of a of your core environment would it need to be? Like what level of fidelity? 
Not, not even like, that's the thing is like, so because we serve multiple different yep. clients on, on, you know, like on different platforms and with different types of businesses, generally in the SaaS world, but with, with different types of businesses, we just need something that would be, in fact, it could be the same each time. And I can imagine a situation like our use case maybe is a little bit different, but I mean, there are like task us is one of the largest outsourced companies. Yep. Um, one of the larger ones. And they're like 28,000 employees. I mean, something just astronomical. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine if you if you had a, a contract with a, a fairly large tech company that maybe had two or three thousand agents, it would be worth your while to build out an environment that was very very similar to their actual real world environment, yeah. where there's there's I don't know how this would work from a technical perspective, but where the questions are similar yep. to the, the ones that are actually asked. But like in our case, it can be quite generic. Yeah. Uh, we're just monitoring for performance, quality of writing, yep. you know, tone, empathy, structure, etc in a live environment, you know, or a, a simulator. Yeah, so what, I think what we would do is basically, in whether it be a large tech company or be, be your situation, um, we would basically take a sub-segment of what your most common types of questions are, and then we would run it through an AI engine that would then start to generate conversations and like priority <laughs> levels and this sort of thing, and yeah. that you could then have that all that synthetic data set up and we could pump in whether it's like, 15 tickets for this agent or whether it's 200 tickets and whether you need to simulate some of that being live chat or whatever it is, um, that would be relatively feasible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I mentioned reputation, like from our side, it would be reputation towards our clients, yeah. but imagine, you know, large companies, it's a matter of their reputation to their yeah. customers, right? Like if you send somebody out into the wild and they don't do a good job, that costs reputation yeah. points, you know, through each interaction. That's not. How long do you think you would want someone in this sort of environment for? In our situation, two weeks to a month. I mean, I think it depends on the complexity, yeah. but enough time to, to fairly evaluate them. I think we'd have to just kind of see how that goes, but enough time to, to build more trust and give them a fair evaluation. Yeah. And then, and then would you essentially want to have a manager or something associated with the account? And then every day, every couple of days, they basically go review the tickets, see, see how the conversation has gone. So on and so exactly. Forth. Yeah. Which is exactly what we do in a in a live sort yep. of environment, but at the point that we're client facing, the the stakes yep, are higher. Totally. Um, yeah. So, and we we still do things like draft mode, et cetera, like where they're not they're not sending out live responses, but it's still in our client's actual yeah. inbox. You, know, you still have that potential for reputational damage. And like I said, this doesn't happen frequently, but like when it does, it's just rather embarrassing. Like it, it's something that we would like to avoid if at all possible. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we should talk more about yeah. this. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool. You know, you could you could look at it the, like from an SDR perspective too. I mean, you could uh, create a situation where they're they're crafting outbound, you know, personalized emails, and then just actually having a back and forth conversation with AI generated content, assuming it's good enough to replicate kind of a real world. I think scenario. it's pretty good so far from what we're seeing. Our results are pretty good on the AI stuff. Like I read it, and I would say the first version of it, eighty-five to ninety percent of the time, reads really really well. And then you see some very rogue things come out of that AI and you're like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But the like, honestly, 80 to 90% hit rate is pretty damn good for something that we can go through and vet. Yeah, I agree. So certainly back to TestBox, what, what is your role at the company? Uh, so I'm the CEO and co-founder. Um, we're still a relatively small company. We're the 10 people at the moment and we're still hiring. We're, we're looking to hire um, phenomenal engineers, product managers, uh, basically really, really focused on the product. Um, in terms of my day-to-day, -day, 
for a while, it's really been thinking about converting my product vision into day-to-day product results, whether that be working with our product designer and helping her think through prioritizing based on user feedback and all that sort of thing, whatever we're trying to build, um, which I do a lot of. I spend a lot of time with users. Uh, every week we have user councils and do a lot of asking questions, listening, getting feedback, just understanding how to make the product better. Um, and then... Recently, I've been doing a lot of work with um, thinking through two, two major things. One around like just internally our culture, um, how we work effectively in a distributed team and like what are the traditions that we want to put in place now so that they continue forward into the future? How do we make sure that we're building diversity, equity and inclusion into the way that we work? Um, those sorts of things, really, really big focus for me. And then I have Of late, it's been a lot of um, also building new partnerships with new vendors to come onto the TestBox platform. Hmm. And from a co-founder perspective, you you have how many co-founders? Just myself and Peter. So two of us. Okay. Now, you and Peter knew each other from the past, Yeah, we've known each other 13 years. Uh, We actually met in our first year of our software engineering degrees um, when we were starting in Australia. And within, I think it was like four months after we met, he actually moved into my apartment we're living together. Uh, we lived in multiple cities around Australia together. We worked together. I convinced him to move to San Francisco about three and a half, four years ago. And I was like, hey, we both knew eventually we we're going to start something together one day. It just depended on when and how. Um, and so that was kind of prepping him for that. <laughs> like we both like, cool, come closer. It'll help us where we need to do this thing yeah. eventually. And so, yeah, we've known each other a very long time. So do you guys delineate your responsibilities or your areas of responsibility? I mean, how do you handle the day-to-day? Yeah, absolutely. So he's the CTO. He, uh, despite us both having software engineering degrees, he's actually a very good software engineer. I kind of let that fall to the side (laughs) relatively early on when I realized like I, I really like thinking about vision and strategy and all those sorts of things really excite me. And he's really good at turning that into code and making it happen. And so he primarily thinks about engineering roadmap and working day to day with our engineering team, whereas I will kind of tackle everything else. Yeah, it's great. You know, before we go too far, I want to circle back to, to culture. And that was on my list of things to, to talk about. I, I read some, some press coverage on, on test box. And one of the things that you said is you want to build a company versus a startup and specifically talking about kind of the long game yeah. with, with developing culture. So would you speak to that? Yeah. I, I the reason I said that is that so often people say, um, whether it whether it's friends, whether it's journalists, whoever it is, will say, "Oh, you're building a startup. Great. How, t- tell me about your startup." I think that has some connotations to it of like this is something that's maybe potentially just going to run really hot and burn and crash, and the whole thing falls apart. Uh, that is absolutely not my goal. The goal is to build a, a long lasting company. So that in ten years' time, it's still running. We still have a team. We we are still. Um, being successful, growing, but we're, we've created stability for our employees and all of that sort of thing. And, and that is really important to me. And so to do that right now, we, we have to have this balance between things that we want to move really fast on and that we feel comfortable having issues with and a breaking and fixing it and all that sort of thing. And then what are the things that we just need to be fundamentally building right now? And I think you can do all the getting stuff wrong pieces on product and that's great. You can get things wrong with users, get feedback, fix it. It's much harder mm-hmm. to be doing that when it comes to culture and the values that you have. Because otherwise, you you put something out there, you'll try it, you pull it out, you try something else, you pull it out. And like it actually starts to throw people from side to side all the time. It's, it's better to sort of have the perspective 
of like, here's the core and we'll test things along the way to continue to improve culture and we'll continue to adapt it. But having a core perspective on how you want to be, how you want to act as a company is really important early on. Because if you don't establish it today, when we're at, even when you're at 20 people, suddenly the culture is out of your hands and is starting to disappear, let alone when you're at 100 people, 500 people, whatever it is. So we need to establish that now as early as possible. And a big thing, a big, big part of that is thinking through how do we build DIB into our company already? And, and that's frankly a really big challenge. It, it requires a lot of thought, requires a lot of time and investment that most startups don't have. And so it's important to have that long, long-term game in mind to have the patience to focus on those sorts of things today. Yeah, absolutely. Have you met Andrew Holiday? He's local in Boulder as well, special sauce branding. Great guy. He should definitely be on your list of, of people to meet. I had a, an in-person with him a little while back, uh, which was awesome. But he does, he does, he works a lot on branding, culture, um, et cetera. And he talks about a company's brand being really just the reputation, mm -hmm. the reputation of the company. And I kind of like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I think it's pretty obvious, but it just, it resonated with me in thinking of like how we build our reputation as individuals and how we can correlate that to the way we do so as a company and the way we treat people, et cetera. What's been really, really interesting to me is to like our, I would say our number one focus at our businesses to grow leaders internally, yep. to build up leaders. And that just takes time and iterations. But like, I feel like I get proud dad when I, I, I see, you know, one of our, our up and coming leaders yeah. on a call that was recorded or whatever. And, and, and I, I hear him or, or her talk about our, our values and missions. Like it just is automatic. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so proud. Like, I just love that. But it's like, you know, you start to see some of the, the fruits of your labor. Um, but do you see it that way too, in terms of like, you know, your brand being really just your, your reputation? I'm not sure I entirely agree. I, I, I think about brand being how do you make people feel when they think of your company when it comes to like, for instance, is, is Testwash really easy to use? Is it, um, does it make me successful? Like I think about more being like functionality mm -hmm. when you think about brand. And then when I think about reputation, it's like, is this a company that, cares about its employees that um, that cares about the world and wants to find ways to make the world successful. And like, you can, you can kind of think about these as different. I personally think of them as different. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe that's not the right way. Maybe I should be merging them together, but I think as a brand functional features, yeah. reputation, more like how we exist, how we treat people, our culture, who we are. And if people respect that. Yeah, I think the point is that it is subjective. And that's why I love asking founders about that is because we, we view it differently. But I'm curious, like, what, what do you hope people think of when they think, when they, when they hear about TestBox? Like, when they, when they think about TestBox, what do you hope that, that they, they're thinking about? I want it to mean different things to different people. So for when I, when I think about the functionality of the product, for, like, the CIO or the CTO, I want them to think, there is no better way for me to have certainty that my team is buying the right software to make us successful in the most efficient and effective way. And I have full confidence in that. that that's yeah. kind of how I want the CIO CTO to think. If like the functional leader, so like a, a support leader, for instance, I want them to think, well, I, I'm frustrated with the amount of time it's gonna take me to go through this process. I wanna do it on my own terms. And I want to work with my team to make a decision that's collaborative that we all feel confident in. And this is the fastest and best way for me to do that, where I 
I know that I can go to our company and say, this is the right decision and feel really confident about that. For, yeah. for like an, a potential prospective employee, I want them to think like, hey, Testbox is doing something super innovative that's very different to all the other options out there as to how you solve this problem. And it's a place where I feel like I'm going to grow successfully in my career. I feel like I will be included and belong there. And I will, this will be a workplace that is a positive influence on my life. Yeah. That's good. You know, I just had a totally off the wall thought. It's like, I I can't get over like how awful the, the whole demo process is to buy enterprise software. It's like, what do you, what do you think it would take for Zendesk to refer their leads to you first? It's like, Hey, before we set up this hour long, stupid call where we're going to bore you to death. Why don't you go over to Sam at Testbox and try it out our software and see what you think? Like if they stand behind their product, like I know you have other options for them, but I mean, they could work. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think in the broader premise is something that we're trying to tackle with the vendors. Um, I don't think it's so much be like, go to Testbox and play with it. It would probably be like, Hey, you've come to us. Let's have a conversation. Um, we'll do the like 10, 15 minutes of discovery. And then what I'm going to do on this call is set up sort of your persona, some of the things you just told me on this discovery call. I'm going to press a button and you're going to get this beautiful Zendesk test box. I'm going to show you clearly how it works, then I'm going to hand it over to you. And the AE suddenly mm-hmm. gives that personalized test box. So they can still do their direct sales motion where they kind of still got to tell their narrative and why they're differentiated, etc. but still be able to hand over that customized test box environment. Um, and then again, like we would be involved in the process with them to make, make their um, purchase more successful, both for the customer and then also for the vendor. So it's something I'm, I'm thinking about already. Is there a potential licensing play there where Zendesk would, would pay you to utilize the software to give their prospects an opportunity to utilize it like within their platform? That, that's something like that. On yeah. That could be very interesting as well. I like your outs. Like you have a lot of great choices. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I feel very fortunate that we've kind of landed on this idea that just the core platform of what we're building is so valuable that it is so extensible into all of these additional paths and mechanisms to make people successful. So I, I, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of is just the core platform and where it can go. Yeah. I don't blame you. I, so what is the current biggest pain point for you guys right now? Or challenge, if you want to look at that way. Yeah, I think the, some of the biggest challenges right now that people tell me will last forever is um, just hiring incredible people that we do think mm-hmm. um, are going to be culture additions and not just culture fits and that will bring different perspectives. I think it's really hard, particularly right now that the, I don't know if you're, how in depth you are trying to hire right now, but the, uh, the world is bonkers when it comes to hiring high quality talent. Um, and so, yeah, that's a really big challenge and it's going to continue being a challenge because we're, we're likely going to grow really, really quickly, which, well, I hope, I hope we do. Um, and that, that means we just need to keep finding great people. So that's going to be a really big challenge in terms of the actual, company in terms of the product specifically, I think we're at this point where we saw a lot of uh, inbound excitement for what we're building. And now it's around turning that into just broader awareness 
Um, anytime we show someone test box and they're sort of in that buying mode, they're like, this is really fantastic. I'm absolutely going to use it. I just want that whole entire world to know that when they're going through the buying process. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, Sam, I've got to get to this before we run short on time. So you're eight years old and you had an interest in building a tech. I mean, like never have I ever. We <laughs> want to be firemen, you know, like a ballerina or a, you know, yeah. whatever. Like I'm not like, I want to own a tech I company. I was a weird kid, I guess. <laughs> no, I, was, I was like very much the kid that would like come home from school, be watching the, um, the like Microsoft events, the Apple events, that sort of thing. And yeah, and I was just, it, it boggled my brain. I think the thing, some of the things that I found most interesting were um, so quickly realizing that a line of code has such incredible reach in the world and can mm. influence so many people's lives in really positive ways. Now, Testbox isn't trying to like solve human rights issues or anything like that necessarily, but I hope we reduce a lot of frustration out of people's lives. That's a pretty good thing that I'm excited about doing. And so when I was a child, like I think I really realized that very little technical work can scale in a way that is beneficial for broader society. And that really excited me. I just wanted to find ways to be able to do that. So were you like a savant of sorts? I mean, did you, you know, go to college no, at 13? No, absolutely not. I'm a very normal person. <laughs> very not normal. That's absolutely not the right word to use. Very average yeah. person. Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, I think what you're doing is incredible. I'm not so so far, it's still a promise. We haven't fully delivered yet. We've got a long way to go. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I just knew very early on that this is something that I wanted to do and it was very clear to me. And I surrounded myself with that sort of thing growing up. Who, who do you look up to in business, whether that's somebody we would know or, or not, who are your inspirations? So. There, there's, there's, there's a few people. Um, one of them actually, someone that I worked with at my previous company, Bain, he, he was just one of these people who very early on just gave me a lot of rope to do things. And I was shocked anytime I reflected on it, I was shocked how much he sort of let me do and try and test. Mm. And he was always there to catch me if I was falling on something. But I think that really led me to have a lot of confidence in myself in that I could kind of tackle things that felt very unknown to me. Um, and, and that's kind of how I like to, or endeavor to manage team members as well is sort of be like, here's our broader goal. Good luck. I will. And like, I'm going to help you along the way as you need it, but I suspect you're not going to need it when you get into this. Um, so I just felt very fortunate to have someone who maybe put too much trust in me, but it, it worked out and that was incredibly valuable. And then um, more broadly, and it's not specific people on this, but it is, I was very fortunate. I have been very fortunate to have people in my life who have helped me go from being someone who's very like, um, very problem solving focused and didn't really think about the human emotion behind things that over time have led me to think about the feelings associated and the emotions associated with making decisions and how it affects people, how you make people successful and that sort of thing. And that, mm -hmm. um, it's a number of people who have contributed to that, but that has massively changed my leadership style and who I want to be as a human from being like black and white, let's make a decision 
to actually let's mm -hmm. think through the effects of this on people and how it's going to make people successful yeah. or not successful if we do X. And so I think that's been a big thing. And then probably the, the third simultaneous, like kind of sitting over all of this is um, honestly my, my therapist. So I've been, I've been doing therapy for a good number of years and I strongly encourage it to a lot of people. Um, and I'm a huge yeah, advocate for it where at Testbox we actually will, um, part of our benefits package is we will pay for people's copay for any mental health therapy services that they're doing. Okay. Um, and because on a weekly basis, I have this opportunity to work on myself and uh, the therapist I've been working with for the last 18 months is very good at just guiding me, helping me think through the challenges that I'm having or just like helping me reflect on my own decision-making. So I think she's been really important to me. I'm glad you brought that up. I would love to talk more about that. I, I am in therapy as well. And I shared a little bit, you know, with you offline about my focus on weight loss and, you know, focusing on the emotional side of that, but it's been just so beneficial. And as a kind of interesting aside, like I'm convinced that therapists would make the best salespeople <laughs> ever. Like, I, I'm like, and we keep going back to this theme of like awful sales presentations, but like the ones that are the best, like the best salespeople are the ones that just care, listen, yep. and know who you are, like do some research ahead of time and just listen, yeah. you know? And like maybe spend five minutes out of an hour long conversation talking about their product. Yeah. You know, it's like, can you imagine therapists being just like amazing? Sales I can. It's a real loyalty business as well. Like you, once, once they've got you, there's like, there's no way I'm going to be leaving my therapist anytime soon. She knows that, but we have a great relationship and that's okay. But like we're 18 months in, yeah. my churn rate is going to be real low. So I absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to ask you about that because a lot of people view therapy as, um, you know, specifically focused on one thing. So like right now I'm working on the emotional side of, of weight loss, yeah. but it's like, I got plenty that I could work on, but I mean, what are your thoughts on, and I think I know this based on what you're saying, but like that ongoing, like, do you use your therapist just for like focused on, you know, certain initiatives or is it more just like checking in? It, it can be a combination of both. It really depends where, where I'm at emotionally, week to week, month to month, whatever it is. Um, I think what we've observed over time is there are periods in my life where there are acute, acute things that I'm really having to focus on and think about, whether that be um, how I'm relating to a friend, a loved one, something going on in my family or something at work that I'm just like really bothered by in some way. Um, or we often talk about some of like what I call chronic, chronic ongoing things that maybe are things that have been going on for 20 years of my life and I have never really properly addressed them or thought about them. And so we tend to change in between from acute issues to the more chronic ones. But what we observe is that almost all the acute things are really strongly tied to something chronic underlying. And so we're always able to come back to those topics on an ongoing basis. Um, and I, I think my take on therapy when people start is that it can, it can feel like you're not really getting anywhere for me, five, six, seven sessions. But when you're getting, you're getting up there, suddenly you start to have these revelation moments that are really meaningful. Not every session is going to change your life. And, and you hope that that's not, it's not happening like that. But um, <laughs> over time, when you're like, hey, this is what I did in the last month in therapy, you're like, wow, that's really changing my mindset and how I approach the next few months or whatever it is. So it, it's certainly a combination for me. And I yeah. strongly, strongly encourage anyone who has the means and the time to be able to make this happen I think you can always make the time to make this happen. I do it in the middle of my week, no matter what, does not matter how busy I am or whatever is going on. Mm -hmm. um, even if I'm normally like working 70 hours that week or something just insane, um, I will still have that hour of therapy because it's so incredibly beneficial to me. I think the biggest barrier for people is having the means to do it. 
um, whether that be a health insurance thing or direct out of pocket. Um, if you have the means, I would strongly encourage every single person to give it a go, even if you don't think it's for you, because it will be for you, even if you don't think it is. You know, I've previously undervalued therapy and, and undervalued how important it is to be healthy emotionally and how much that impacts my business life. I can tell you that like my, my wife and I, like we get along very well. We've married for 16 years, but you know, occasionally we have disagreements yeah. and whenever we're at a bad place with each other, especially if that lingers, I perform poorly at work the next day. It's like, I just can't get my mind in the game, yeah. you know, and it's deeply impactful. I, I notice it most when I'm exercising is that, if I'm having, if there's something that's just like churning in my head, I won't be able to think about anything else really. And I will actively notice like my performance drops significantly uh, in that moment. And so having the opportunity, whether I be because I'm doing some meditation or I'm journaling each day, or I'm going to having these therapy sessions to talk about it. Um, if I don't do those things, I exercise, I really notice it. It certainly happens in my work life as well, but it's so obvious for me that. Yeah. You know, I, I've not, well, maybe this happens. I'm, I'm not familiar with it, but I'm all about like, hiring a therapist full-time on staff. If he or she would be willing to do that. I mean, imagine a scenario where, you know, and, and, and sadly the therapists don't make a, a lot of money. It's like, you I mean, I'm, I'm sure software engineers make multiple times what a therapist makes. And imagine like a full-time therapist right. on staff that was able to, to, you know, work with employees that were interested in doing that. And at some point it can even be like a, a, a life coaching sort of situation, right? Like, I mean, if you get to the yeah. place, which would be a, a great thing where, you know, we're not actively working on sort of acute or, or, or even chronic problems, but it's like, how do I get to the next level? I think it could be, I don't know, it'd be very interesting to see how that would work out in terms of productivity, add mental health um, improvements for Yeah, for there's, there's a good amount of um, relative, well, I, I guess in the last year, two years, um, there's been significant growth in this area where there are some B2B therapists therapy companies. Um, so think like, I think Talkspace is, is a good example. They might be looking to go yeah. into that more. There's some uh, other apps that are starting to do this where they will offer to enterprise companies the ability to have really easy to access mental, mental health therapy services. Um, uh, one thing that we're looking at at the moment is executive coaching for our leadership team as well. Like that sort of thing's really important as an ongoing basis. So all of these, I, I just think we, as a society focus so much on our physical training and physical health, and we don't think about our emotional and mental health enough. And so the more that you provide those opportunities for staff, um, the better it, we're all going to be as a result of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the idea of founders upskilling themselves as the company grows, as compared to hiring a, an external CEO, for example. So let's just say, you know, test box does really well in the coming years. Right now you, you have a relatively small team. Let's say you have a hundred or a thousand employees yeah. in the future. What are your thoughts on upskilling yourself via, you know, executive coaching versus a higher gun CEO? I think there are phases of growth in a company that requires different skills. And so in phase, phase zero, which we essentially are right now, which is like the, is very much the innovation, new idea, product market fit, kind of growing as quickly as we can phase, right? Then there's other phases around growth, scaling, and then optimization. Um, you require different skills for each of those components. And I think it would be 
irresponsible of me that if I, that to not try and upskill myself, otherwise we won't be as successful in each of those phases. And then even further irresponsible of me to realize to, to not be willing to admit that I haven't been able to upskill myself to be successful in the, in the next phase. Um, and so when that starts to happen, it's either a situation of like, okay, I need to step away in some way, or I need to make sure that we have other executives on the team that are complementing those skills very specifically. Um, and so I definitely think about it in phases and, and recognizing when that moment is to bring new people in if I haven't been able to upskill. That makes sense. Now, I want to ask you a question that, that you're one of very few people in the world that can answer. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the cultural differences in business between you know Australia, you've been in London, and then now in the United States. Yeah. Uh, I have someone at my door. I'm sorry, you might have to edit this. Apologies. Sorry, Jim. Um, Life happens. Sorry. We have a full time video editor that loves Okay, editing, fantastic. So. Let me know if you hear any background noise at all. So, thinking about Australia versus the UK versus uh, the US, I think the, the culture in Australia is very much a, there's a very high performance culture, but it is absolutely not the same in the U S when it comes to just how much dedication people put to their work, their work on a daily basis. I think the U S has, has an interesting perspective of really putting a hundred percent of yourself into a job, um, which I understand. And I think makes sense for some people, but probably not for the broader population at large. I think we've noticed issues in the US where like people will offer um, unlimited PTO and then team members will actually take significantly less than they used to as a result of that. Because I think there's this interesting pressure in the US around how you, um, on, on that like turn up to work every day, put your best in every day. Whereas um, somewhere like Australia, there's like people taking 20 to 30 days off a year. That's really very different, but I don't think it makes them any less productive. If anything, it probably makes them more productive. Um, for ourselves, like we, we basically told our team, yeah, you have unlimited PTO, but you must take at least 15 days a year. If you do not, I will cancel your Slack account kind of thing. (laughs) So I think that's like a very Australian mindset versus a very, a a more U S mindset on that one. Um, but I, but one thing I do think that is very positive about the U S is there is just this idea of like untapped opportunity that anything that you might want to do is possible. In Australia, there's this idea of um, tall poppy syndrome, which basically is when people kind of get too big for their boots, society tries to pull you back down a little bit more and it's much more even. Um, so I think there is that very big cultural difference. And, and part of the reason that I was like, I, if I'm going to start a company, I think the US is the best place to do it um, is because people are just incredibly encouraging and believe in innovation and think it can kind of go anywhere. And that's really exciting. Mm, that's awesome. And we, we very much have adopted the, the same policy for our, our sales and leadership staff. It's unlimited vacation policy, but you're required to take three yes, weeks. Yes, right. And it's like, and I, I'm like, that was when David and I, my co-founder and I talked about that. It's like, we were afraid of that because I've heard this negative side of it where there's like this idea of like, I, I don't know, it's weird that they would take less, but I understand psychologically how that happens. You know, just on a call with one of our, our leaders in, in Kenya, Daniel, and he's been working so hard lately. One of our other leaders is on paternity yeah. leave. And I'm like, Daniel, like when, when Martin comes back, you have to take some vacation time. Like you've got to take a break. And like, cause he would just work 24 yeah. seven if we didn't force it. It's like, you need to take care of yourself, yeah. man. Like do that. Yeah. Like, um, 
Yeah. So I, I find that that's important. And also to, to model that, like I, it's important for David and I to model time off. And I made it really obvious when I was out of town and, you know, shared, shared a, a couple pictures and things. And it's like, I think it's important as leaders to make sure. We yeah. We, we actually put in our job descriptions um, that Sam typically takes 20 to 25 days a year. Uh, Cause I hope that it encourages people and it helps them like realize the sort of place that we are. Like uh, Peter, our CTO is out entirely this week. Not a problem. One of my team members actually posted in our Slack today, uh, is there anywhere where I can track how many days I've, I've taken this year before I get cancelled on Slack? <laughs> I was like, yeah, there is, don't worry. <laughs> Which is great. Like, he was very comfortable openly asking about that in front of everyone that he wanted to make sure he was doing what we've talked about as a team of, like, taking enough time off to rejuvenate and feel comfortable to come back to work and do a great job. Yeah, that's great. Well, Sam, this has been a lot of fun. You, you're so gracious with your time. I'm absolutely excited about TestBox and what you guys have in front of you. Thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate you taking the time as well. It's always good to talk to you the couple of times that we have so far. Yeah. And I look forward to, to working with you more. Absolutely. So we'll have the, the full length recording on our landing page. We'll include your bio and also links. But what's the best way for someone to reach out? They just want to say hello or if they're interested in, in uh, utilizing yeah, TestBox. Yeah, you could go to testbox.com and get started that way. Or if you just want to generally reach out just sam at testbox.com.